what is man? When David uses that phrase in Psalm 8, he's contemplating the significance of humanity in light of the majesty and glory of God. Unfortunately, in our current culture, the question, what is a man or what is a woman, is viewed as a legitimate and open discussion. Confusion abounds regarding gender and sexuality, roles of men and women in the church or the home, ethnic harmony, the nature of humanity, and other issues. Pastors and church leaders need to think biblically about these matters and consider how to consistently and winsomely communicate the biblical teaching on these issues to those in their churches. Join us October 20th and 21st for the 2022 E3 Pastors Conference, Made in His Image, A Biblical View of Humanity. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Theologically Driven, a podcast for those who want to know God through His Word and have that knowledge drive their decisions. This podcast is brought to you by Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary, a seminary devoted to exalting God by expounding His Word. You can learn more at dbts.edu. I'm Ben Edwards, Dean of Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary, and in this episode we'll be discussing expositional preaching. My guest this week is Dr. David Dorn, President of DBTS and Senior Pastor of Inner City Baptist Church. Dr. Dorn, it's great to have you back. Glad to be here. As we think about expositional preaching, I want to begin by thinking about what that actually is. What is expositional preaching? But before we offer a positive take, I wonder if maybe it might be helpful to to think through some some misunderstandings, some flawed ideas of what expositional preaching entails. So, so what are some ways that people might think about expositional preaching or say, this is expositional preaching, but maybe it's not? Right. And I, and I think it's important because, um, I mean, I, at least I'm old enough to remember when the emphasis on expositional preaching was sort of new and fresh and, um, and needed, desperately needed. Um, but you would have people claiming to do exposition who were clearly not doing the same thing. And I can remember as a college student and early seminary student thinking, all right, what, you know, what gives here? How, how can you have such radically different definitions in practice of this admirable goal? And, and then, you know, the older I got and I started working through it because of my own need to learn as a preacher, but also starting to teach preaching, is I think I think some of it is, um, some is inevitable because this is one of those cases where you can't turn to a Bible verse and have it say, you know, here are the mechanics, so to speak, of it. Uh, you have the scriptures clearly anchoring us in preaching the content of God's word. And then uh, and then we work out from there, from really what I would say is from our hermeneutics to our homiletics. And that would be the key difference. So what I would say is where it often seemed to go wrong was that it was being defined in speech terms. And they were really trying to talk about the format or form of the sermon rather than the process by which you came to an understanding of what the word is and then preached it. So, so you'd have, um, so, I mean, I, I was actually taught and it wasn't a bad system, but it was taught a topical sermon. It develops its theme from a text of scripture, but develops it through the rest of the Bible. 
a textual sermon was a sermon that got its theme and main points from a very short passage of scripture. And an expository sermon was a sermon that got its theme, main points, and subpoints all from the same passage of scripture. Which, um, what I would say is, it's it's not a uh, like a, a wrong, horrible thing. I think it's not a helpful thing, though, because if you take that definition and you have somebody wanting to do exposition, say, of the narratives in the Old Testament that can easily lead to allegorization and spiritualization because you're actually thinking the outline of the passage becomes the outline of my sermon and you start to make points out of scenes in the narrative that are not intended to be a, a principle or a, a sermon point, right? So, I mean, you know, my sort of uh, go-to ways, sermons you hear like on David and Goliath. And, and you know, I think the theme's wrong to start with, but here's how you beat the giants in your life. Uh, David got up early in the morning. You know, so if you want to beat the giants in your life, you need to be a person who gets after your responsibilities fast. And then when he gets to the field, he makes sure somebody watches the stuff that he brought. He takes care of his personal responsibilities, right? And and what you end up doing is making points out of things which were not written to be some moralistic life principle, right? And the same thing can happen in poetry, right? So a lot of the Psalms are sort of cyclical. They, they're, they're repeating the truth um, in a in a cycle, so it's not actually broken down as a like phase one, phase two, phase three, and and then your subpoints are all going to be there. But it's actually written it as poetry, and it needs to be studied as poetry, and then preached in a way that honors the poetic text. That definition I gave uh, tends to work well in Paul's tightly argued letters. But it doesn't actually work well when you move, say, to parables or narratives or a lot of poetry. Um, and so I think it actually sometimes creates a practice of exposition, which is contrary to the real heart of exposition. And, and that, uh, that's the danger. The other one is that I've seen often is, is basically starting to be like a running commentary. So someone is uh, just walking through the passage, making observations or defining terms, but they're not actually treating the passage as unified and as having a truth that's communicated in it. So at the end of it, the person who is listening is going to know a bunch of things that are hopefully accurate and good, but they may not get the point of the passage. And, and I think that, that also uh, is not, not what we should be shooting for. And one kind of form of that a little bit is what would be doctrinal or theological preaching, which um, this could sound harsh, but sometimes ends up being a series of topical messages through the same passage. So this passage mentions election. And so I preach a, 
message on election. It mentions adoption. So I preach a message on adoption. It mentions predestination. So I preach a message on predestination. It mentions holy. So I preach a message on holiness. And what I've done is I've turned a, um, a unified passage seeking to communicate in a very glorious and important truth into sort of a buffet of theological information. And again, lots can, you know, because you're taking people into the word, so it's it's good. And there are some great examples of godly pastors who've done that and wrote commentaries that have, you know, six volumes over a book that um, that that feed God's people because they're handling good theology. And so praise God for that. But that I don't think that sets the right model or standard for what we're supposed to do and for most preachers who are not as gifted as those guys who end up with the six volume set. Yeah. So when you, when you, when you hold that person up as the model, you know, really, if you're going to be an expositional preacher, <clears throat> you need probably at least 10 sermons from the first three verses of Ephesians one. Right. Most people aren't able to preach that in that right. way. And so inevitably it's not in dry that, and that boring. Pe yeah. And, people want to listen. To. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so if expositional preaching it isn't, necessarily a specific structure of the sermon or, or running commentary or a theological discussion. What, what is it? What, what actually would define expositional right. preaching? So the way I've approached it is it, it, it unfolds the meaning of the passage, right? So, so Paul wrote, uh, we just talked to you, let's just take Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, right? So Paul wrote that for a reason. And he communicates an overarching idea or theme to that passage. And our goal is to identify that theme and understand it the way Paul communicated it. Because the meaning is in the words. And it's in the words as they were used by the author of Scripture. And they were used in a way consistent with their usage at the time. And also consistent with the overall message of Scripture. Right. So the, you know, we might, in hermeneutics, we talk about the grammatical, historical, theological interpretation of the passage. That same commitment drives my sermon preparation because I, I study the text first. And once I understand the text, then I can begin to deal with questions as to, all right, so what do I need to explain and, and how do I need to convince people of the truthfulness of this text and so that they embrace it and what do I need to show are the practical ramifications of it. I don't get to the sermon writing until way after the study of the passage. It goes from the, the passage and then to the sermon. And so it's it's zeroed in on the original meaning of a of a uh, ideally a biblical passage, but there are times when we have to bring in other passages because it's, it's okay to preach a theological message, right? That's, I, I've got no problem with that. So whatever passage you touch, you are not just like giving it a kiss on the way by so it can say something you want it to say. You're putting yourself under the authority of that passage and finding out what it really means. And then integrate that with the unified message of Scripture because the, the Bible doesn't contradict itself. So uh, have I understood this properly in, in terms of the 
biblical context. And so what, what theological um, interaction do I need to have? Because I think Orthodox theology controls the process, but also every passage can contribute to our understanding of theology. And then I go, what's the appropriate application to my contemporary hearers? And I can't really do that until I know who the hearers are. So the idea that you, you know, you study a passage, you come up with one sermon and that sermon fits everywhere, I think is a part of what goes wrong because uh, the, 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 the audience stands in relationship to the text differently, the significance of that passage. Right? So you and I, you know, have had the experience around here because, you know, I, I, I actually did this, I think, um, I think I did last this fall. One of them, you know, I I had uh, I was preaching to junior hires and senior hires, and elementary age children, and the seminary. Actually, it was last year, same same day. It was a Wednesday. I had our school chapel, I had seminary chapel, and I was doing the teaching for our children's ministry, and I did it from the same verse in the Book of Proverbs. Right now. It, you'd be, I think, I think a, a preacher would be negligent and probably fairly foolish to preach the exact same sermon, given that those three categories of people are at different levels intellectually, different stages of life. So there's going to be different applications. There's going to be different things that they have to wrestle with in terms of, of uh, submitting to the truth of God. It's the same text, the same meaning of the text, but it has different uh, points of conflict and application with different audiences. So you can't finish the sermon until you know who's going to be hearing it, right? And, and I think that side of it is not any compromise of the text. It's actually faithfulness to the text. So sometimes I think we've uh, over-argued and either over-argued structure, that's where we started, or over-argued um, the priority of the text. I even feel uncomfortable saying that, but basically acting as if it really doesn't matter who's in front of you. And, and that's not the case. You actually do have to know what this text challenges in their lives and where this check text and you need to explain things so that they can they can understand what god has said so we just need to be controlled by the text uh, live in it the best we can then move toward the people that we're we're responsible to shepherd i think the best preaching is in the context i mean one-off conference messages or and they're great but but that's not the standard for what the ministry of the word is. Yeah. Do you think it would be equivalent as you're talking about expositional preaching to talk about biblical preaching? Right. That, that essentially what we're saying is we are proclaiming what God has said. Right. And that's at the heart of expositional preaching. It's just, it's the Bible and that's what we're proclaiming. That's the truth we're drawing from. That's the truth we're applying. Right. I, mean, I heard it said one time and, and uh, honestly, I can't remember who said it. Uh, and I don't think it's, uh, I mean, it's so, I think it's sort of one of those self-evident truths that we're, we are commanded to preach the word, which means we are actually supposed to say something that was already said, right? The word was said, it's spoken, 
and I'm supposed to preach what was spoken. My job is not uh, originality. My job is not coming up with a message, really. Mine is discovering the message that God has given. And that's why you say, you know, use the word biblical. I'm like, yeah, that's, I mean, it's, and, and I, and so I, I'd like, um, I mean, there's a, a, another way I've heard it, and actually there's a, a homiletics book called Text-Driven Preaching. That's that. Yes. I'm, I'm, so the shape, the meaning of the text, the shape of the text should drive the sermon. No. How important is expositional, biblical, text-driven preaching? How, how significant is it to the life of the church or the, the health of a church? I think it's at the very center of it. And, and let me start with from the pastor's side of it. Um, it's it's a part of the standard of qualifications, able to teach. It's actually what distinguishes elders, the ones that work hard at preaching and teaching. Uh, it's what makes them a good minister of Jesus Christ. They put put the brothers in remembrance of these things, right? So so if you just start at you know God's given pastors and teachers to the church for the equipping of the saints and God's standard for them is trustworthiness with the word, working hard in the word, uh, being, uh, being faithful to that, that the ones that are honored are, are that remember those who led you and spoke to you, the word of God, right? So, so if a church is healthy, it's going to be because God's gifts to the church and pastors and teachers are functioning properly. And, and so, so, I mean, this could say, you know, I'm going to say I'm a pastor, so I'm a little bit biased. Someone could say I'm biased on it, but, um, if we really want the church to be healthy, then we should be doing what we should be recognizing what God gave to the church for its health. <laughs> right. So, so when people try to recraft the role of pastor away from giving their strength to prayer and the ministry of the word, they are actually, whether they recognize it or not, are thinking they know better than God. Yeah, and that might have worked in the first century, but we really need a pastor now who can do X, Y, or Z. And and that's, uh, I mean, that's folly. In terms of the health of the church, personal and congregational growth comes through the, the effectiveness of the word at work in our hearts, right? We're, we're like newborn babes to desire the milk of the word. It, Christ is uh, working in his church, right? Through the washing of the water of the word. It, it, it is the word that builds us up and gives us an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith. And so um, we, we can't be healthy apart from God's word. And, and, and so that's like, like the floor, right? It's an utter necessity, but it is also God's gracious gift that brings life and health, right? The word of God is what uh, brings to us the, the growth in Christ-likeness that we need. It's how we grow up into him as a congregation. And so, so the, the centrality of the word and the centrality of the teaching of the word fit together. And so I think any, any congregation that's going to be healthy has to have a sort of a dual commitment 
to its leaders to allow them to be devoted to the word and in the congregation to be hearers of the word and doers of it, right? That they, they view the gathering of God's people as a time to hear from God through the word and to borrow up, you know, a Piperian kind of statement to worship God through the glad submission of our wills to his word. That's our worship. We gladly submit to what God has said in the word. Well, if they're going to, if we're going to call people to gladly submit to the word of God, then we need, we have a great burden to be making sure that what we're saying is in fact the word of God and that we've helped them see that it is, that they know what the scriptures say. They've come to embrace them, right? They say yes to the Lord and, and then are looking to live them out. So remembering again that, that when we're talking about expository, biblical, text-driven preaching, we're not talking about a specific style. We're talking about uh, an approach right. to how we handle God's word. If, if someone is in a church that does not have that approach to the sermons, what should they do? <laughs> Great question. Um, so, so I, I would, I know your question narrows it. I'll just keep narrowing a little bit, right? So the standard should be the word, right? Cause I do think at times people go, they hear some well-known radio preacher and that person is talking about exposition and s- either implicitly, sometimes explicitly saying, Things like, so if it's not done like I'm doing it, then it's not being done. And and so people compare their pastor to this incredibly gifted, you know, preacher and teacher. And and I I don't think it would be prudent to do that. I think it actually would be unwise and unbiblical to do that. The real test would be as you sit and listen to the message. Can you see in the text of Scripture where the preacher is deriving his message, right? And, and, and as you look at the text, you can see that he is saying what the Bible says, right? That, that, that there is a close connection between what's being taught from the pulpit and, and the, the Bible you have in your hand. He's taking you into the scriptures. He's not just having you open the Bible to become a springboard into what he wants to say and stories or, or whatever. Um, and I would say the, the first step in that kind of a scenario, it would be to seek to have a conversation, right? Because um, I think if you're a member... I mean, we're Baptists, so we'll just inside of a Baptist context, right? If you're if you're a member of that assembly, you've made a commitment to that as your spiritual family, you know, right? So you don't just bolt because of something without actually trying to work for the betterment of it, right? So I I think if you genuinely feel like your pastor is not being faithful to the Word in the in the way he's preaching and teaching, right? I'm not saying if he gets up there and preaches, Jesus is not God you know, hit the door. But if you're going, my pastor's not being a faithful expositor, 
I would want to go have a conversation with him and, 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 um, find out what he thinks about preaching, find out what's, you know, what's going into it because, um, you should love this person because he may not be uh, skillfully handling the word right now, but from in public context, but there may be a whole lot of other things by which he's being faithful to the Lord. And, and so you want to go with a mindset to help and pursue strengthening of him, uh, which might mean, you know, so in some cases might be trying to find ways to get things off his plate so he can give time to the word might be getting him access to some, cause some guys love Jesus and ended up in ministry without access to the right kind of role models or teaching and, you know, pay for him to come to E3. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's ways you can minister to him. If what you then encounter in the process of trying to help, you're not coming critically, you're coming to try and help. If you find there's no heart for it, or there's a, there's a philosophical commitment to a different approach to preaching, right? The person says, no, you know, if you try to do that, that's, that's going to kill our church, right? I mean, I, years ago, there was a guy who came into our state and preached to a group of pastors and said, expository preaching will kill your church, right? So, the, I mean, there is a mindset out there that's like that. If, if this person is not uninformed, they're not unintentionally doing this, right? Or maybe, uh, uh, you know, there's something, some mitigating circumstance that it's it's an actual commitment to a style and strategy of preaching that that um, submits the Bible to the mind of the preacher or sets the Bible aside. Then at that point, I I I, I think that's. Um, you know, Ichabod's over the doorframe at, at some point. Yeah. So it, since expositional preaching is such a significant issue, what are some marks, what are some characteristics as, as you maybe are trying to figure out, you kind of talked about some of this, but is this preacher actually preaching expositionally right. or as a preacher, am I actually doing what right. I should be doing? What, what kinds of of things characterize expositional right. preaching. So, so I think, I mean, the, uh, sometimes it gets used sort of, you know, um, speechy kind of way, but what I would say is that is the point of the sermon, the point of the text, right? I mean, there, there's, I mean, this, this came to us from God to communicate some truth. Is that, does the, the point of the sermon, the truth that the sermon is aiming to communicate, does it, does it have an organic connection to the text, right? Is it is it actually growing out of the text? Um, and so, as I'm listening to a sermon, I'm wanting I'm wanting to know: Is this pastor showing me? Is this preacher showing me what the point of this passage is? What it what it means, and why this is significant? I mean, because there there was some reason why God wanted this in the Word. So what did God say and why is this the point of, of Scripture? So the theme of the sermon, I do believe um, that we don't abandon the idea of the structure of the sermon. What my, my point earlier was that um, we, we are controlled by the structure of the sermon in, the, in this sense 
what the what the structure of the text is trying to do is what we're doing, right? So I mean, we you know, I mean, sometimes there's cheesy cl cliches, but you know, a passage that starts with wherefore, right, is showing some conclusion or implication. So that that would probably show up in my explanation of the text, or you know, in my case, it'd be like look at look at the beginning of verse twelve. It starts with the word for. And that shows us that the Apostle Paul is explaining something about what he said in the verse before it. So, so I'm, I'm honoring the structure of the sermon in the way I explain the sermon, not necessarily in the way I outline the sermon. That's possible, but it may not always be the case. I'm more concerned that someone's looking at the, the markers and of of ideas and logical connections in the text, and they're pointing those out, because I think the key, I mean, from the preacher side, right, is when when the preacher is doing that, he's actually showing people how to read their Bibles, right? Because I mean, I've said this for years. If if you finish a sermon and people are going, man, I you know, I never would have been able to see that in the text. That's not. That's not always a compliment, right? I mean, a, a compliment might be something like, wow, I've read that passage for years and I missed that. But when you showed me the relationship between those two statements, boy, the light went on. That's what you want, okay? You want, you want them to understand not just what is said to some degree, but how the scriptures is making that case, because that helps them read the Bible, helps them think biblically. And I think it's doing the work of transforming their minds. So, so I think the structure does show up in it. I think, I think, um, purpose and intent are connected to it. Cause I I've seen all of us have probably seen at times someone use a passage in a way that's actually contrary to the point of the passage, right? They, they, they have pulled it out of context and, and made it, mean what they want it to mean. And, and so I need, I, I'm always wanting to hear if I'm a listener, has this person spoken truly in terms of the point of this passage? Why, why, what was this passage aimed to do? And are they trying to do the same thing with it? If that makes sense. Yeah. So thinking about these characteristics, is there any kind of, of way to, to look back and maybe consider what what's the fruit of my preaching that would indicate that it's this is biblical preaching or, or this is expositional preaching. Are there are there evidences uh, from the ministry that you have that that might help help you to see? Yes, this this is biblical preaching. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, sadly, the first thing that popped in mind is some people aren't going to be happy with you, you know, because. Um, if you're really faithfully communicating the text, um, for all of us, that means there's going to be times when it's rubbing against us because we're sinners. And, and that's not big in our culture, right? So I, would, I wouldn't want to make that the main thing. I'm doing a good job if people are mad at me. I think it would be that there's going to be sometimes a somberness that we have really gotten to the truth of God because it's confronting our 
our independence from him or our rebellion against him. And so that would mean, is there evidence that people are changing? Right. They, they actually, because if, if we're, if we're preaching messages that are landing lightly on, on the consciences of people, then it's possible it's because we're not bringing to bear the weight of God's word in its authority. It, it is also possible that we're, you know, we're, um, failing to communicate well, I, I understand. And it's possible that we're not doing so in uh, genuine dependence on the spirit, right? We think we're just a master teacher and, and, and we think our wisdom can, can change people. And so there's, there's more than one answer, but I think a part of it would be assuming you're praying, assuming you are, uh, you're, you're trying to be faithful to the text and let God speak with authority then I think you would be seeing changes happen in the hearts of the regenerate. Right. Right. I mean, if you have all goats, you might not. You might be run out like a Jonathan Edwards. Right. Right. They're still, you're still going to see fruit. Right. It's just going to be the savor of death unto death as opposed to exactly. life unto life. I think, I think uh, inside of that would be also you start to have people talking in ways that reveals that they're thinking through passages of scripture, right? They're not doing the sanctified Ouija board thing where they just like throw open the Bible and hope a verse speaks to them about something, but they're actually working their way through the Bible and letting the Bible speak in its terms. And 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 I so I think you start to hear hear that. You've got a, a more mature kind of conversation that's happening. Um, I think the, uh, I guess sort of downstream would be that, that ministries of your church, which are Bible centered flourish, you know, you, you don't have to be thriving on entertainment. You're not, you're not creating an atmosphere where you've got to be the equivalent of a spiritual amusement park that adds a newer, higher, faster roller coaster every year to keep people coming. They, they, they know the center of this is God's word. And so, you know, what, what draws them is they want to, they want the word, they want to learn the word. And so when you see, like in our context, like you see, you know, 150 women coming out on a Tuesday morning to study God's word, you go, boy, you know, God's creating a love for the word, right? That's, that's it. When you, you know, when you have, uh, people getting together to study what the scriptures say. That that's a good thing. When they're talking the truth to one another, that's a good thing. When when they're expressing prayer support in biblical terms, I think you're starting to see that the word is saturating, and and I think that can start um, start. It, it's significantly established by the pulpit. It's not limited to the pulpit, but it is. I think it is a major part of it because few things set the tempo and temperature of the church more than the pulpit ministry. Amen. Well, thank you very much for your time, Dr. Dorn, and thank you for listening to this episode of Theologically Driven. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to share it with someone else that you think could benefit from this discussion as well. You can find out more about Theologically Driven with Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary at dbts.edu. Look forward to our next time together. Until then, keep seeking the Lord.